Hey guys, I'm Mark Potter. Welcome to another episode of Brushstrokes, a podcast powered by Canvas Magazine. Guys, today's episode is brought to you by my friends at the Association for Print Technologies, otherwise known as AP Tech. If you're not familiar with AP Tech, you need to get familiar with them as soon as possible. They are a purpose-driven organization. They are dedicated to the progressive printer. They are enabling our future and they're doing it in unique ways. Obviously, this time is one where we're all a bit confused and bewildered, and yet AP Tech keeps pushing forward by creating new communities in verticals like higher education or health and wellness that you can connect with. They've launched magazines like Ed Gage or Leading Print or Wellness Marketer, and they're all doing it in an effort to connect you, the progressive printer, to possible clients. So if you haven't checked them out, go to printtechnologies.org and figure out how to become a member today. I'm telling you, they're a great group, they're progressive in their mindset, and they have a commitment to this industry like none other. Our conversation today is probably one of the more important ones that we've come across. Months ago, I did a podcast with Martin Lidstrom, who is, many of you know, is a best-selling author, and he's written countless books, but most importantly, he's one of the most thoughtful people that I have come across. He is dedicated to understanding the nuances in the world and sharing his beliefs, his research, and his insights in order to propel people to a greater day. And that's never been more critical than right now. We find ourselves in an incredibly difficult time. This is an odd time. And while we can blame COVID-19 and make the excuse of COVID-19, Martin and myself agree that we are in a epidemic, a cultural epidemic. We were in it long before this. And we've, whether it's because we've cocooned ourselves, whether it's because of the self-immediate gratification or the addiction to technology, the bottom line is we have started to lose a bit of ourselves. And along the way, because we have a lack of experiences, there's a lack of common sense. We see it in our businesses. We see it in all the red tape and bureaucracy. And so what's really, really cool is that he's now come out with a brand new book called The Ministry of Common Sense, How to Eliminate Bureaucratic Red Tape, Bad Excuses, and Corporate Bullshit. And he is um, really doing fantastic work in, in driving home real human connection, um, stepping away and, and finding a, a better version of ourselves through the use of common sense. And so I, I really am a um, devout follower of, of Martin and um, his overall ministry, if you will. And I think that this book, which is coming out January 19th, is going to uh, help us all. So without further ado, Give a listen to my really, really compelling conversation with my good friend, Martin Lindstrom.
Martin. Hello there. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Good to hear your voice. Good to hear you. Can you, uh, you? Am I coming in loud and clear? I can hear you. That's a very good start, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. And the question is, are we listening, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where are you? Do last... you want to... I'm actually in, Switzer in Switzerland right now, um, Zurich. So I'm enjoying the snow. It's very romantic. I'm looking out of the window and you have Christmas trees with light on. I mean, this is super romantic. Oh my gosh, that's great. Now, are you, are, do you ski there? I do actually, yeah, I do. Oh, that's fantastic. But I also live here part of the, part of the year. I live in Switzerland during the winter. Last time we talked, you were trapped in Australia. I was. <laughs> uh, you, were, you, you, you were you were you were held hostage by. Uh, yeah. That was I, that was like bad. That was right when it hit. We we were talking just a few weeks into the uh, the COVID deal. It was crazy. Yeah, that was in the middle of April, I think. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and then I I was stuck there for two and a half months. There was not a single plane. You're kidding. And then finally the plane was flying. And do you know what? This is crazy. I flown one since. <laughs> you know, normally I would fly three in a day a year, and this year I've flown once. You so were I, there two yeah. and a half, two and a half months. Now, do you do you have a place yeah. there, or were you literally? I do. Yeah, I have a house. I have a house there. But actually, I'm renovating this house, so I had to stay in a hotel. And believe it or not, it's a quarantine hotel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, suddenly, I had all these quarantine people being sort of. Um, managed by the military and then i was at one floor which was called freedom because i could walk out and the rest was locked in for two weeks just like a really bad movie <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. it has yeah. been, it, martin it has been like a bad movie hasn't it it yeah it has it has i have to tell you one thing though that I, I decided very early on to see this as a positive thing rather than a negative thing. And it actually played in my favor, I have to say, as much as you don't want to say this too loud, but it's played in my favor because I, I took some chances and they really are playing back right now. Had I not done that, I don't know where I would have been. So I really put everything on red and really gambled. And that has played off. It's really changed my lifestyle and everything. Um, but I feel so sorry for a lot of people which didn't gamble. Right. Um, so, and, and you? So, uh, you know, the same. Um, I, I feel like um, I, I typically am, um, I'm a pretty positive guy. I think most people would say I'm, I'm, uh, I'm you know, overly positive. Um, sometimes even when I don't feel it inside, you know, it's just become uh, a default to be positive. And mm. I've always mm. tried to, you know, over the course of time, when you, you when you, um, you know, you when you're entrepreneurial, you have you build that habit of just Absolutely. right of of I gotta see the opportunity and and I, I tell my kids, listen, you know, when adversity hits, you've got to see the opportunity within it, and and you know the stuff that seems bad is is uh, many times turns out to be good. So, um, I, I you know, right now. We've we our year has been pretty decent. Um, you know, you don't know what tomorrow. I think that's the biggest thing is that you don't know what tomorrow will bring. It's hard to plan. A lot of my yeah. clients, um, I see the same thing. They just, it's it's they've been able to to manage, and we've done some really creative stuff and adapted on the fly and been reactive and and even creative within that moment. But but 
but uh, you worry about what the future holds and how do you plan. Um, and you know, I, I was just telling my son yesterday we were talking, and I said, "Boy, I, I don't know what you can do. I, your ambitions, your dreams, your goals." they we don't know we don't know what those look like it's not there's it's very very unclear it's very muddy yeah. so you've got to focus yeah. on yourself you got to focus on yeah. what you can do and control and do the best with you know who you are and um and build all those muscles so it's been it's been interesting it's been cathartic on some level there are some silver linings but boy i wish uh i wish things could break for everybody a little bit you know <laughs> yeah. how, how much anxiety Percentage-wise, do you feel deep inside every day? Uh, Business-wise, um, I don't know, Martin. That's a great question. I I don't know how much anxiety I have on the business side. There's definitely anxiety. I may have told you this last time when we talked. You know, when I was in the corporate world, and I was working for someone in in that corporate uh, structure, if you will. And I was making a decent dollar and, 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 you know, I was doing some things. It was frustrating because you kept coming up against this corporate politics and yeah. I was really stressed. And, and yet when I went off to start my own business and I was making zero dollars, I wasn't as stressed. I had stress, but I was, mm. I was relying on myself. So even in this moment, I, I have those muscles. Now the anxiety that I feel is for my, my kids. My the anxiety I feel is for the the future. You know what does that what does the landscape look like? Because you want them to be able to have ambition and desire and and lead an enriched life. So I'm not sure. I, I'm certainly stressed. You know we're all money is I suppose at the at the core of everything. But but really that's the bigger stress. How about you? Well, listen. I, I probably feel the same. I'm I'm constantly evaluating. And I would say I probably have between one and five percent anxiety deep inside. And what's really fascinating about that is that there's really nothing I should be anxious about. So mm-hmm. I kind of have to break it down and try to understand what is it. And I presume it's the fear of the unknown. Um, what's it's very ironic because I actually thrive on the unknown, but in this case, I obviously don't. And so it is, I guess, the fear of will things collapse? I mean, will things just settle down? What, what will happen, right? Mm-hmm. Because certainly, like you, I, I, we do all our clients virtually right now. Mm-hmm. And they manage to go along with it. But I always feel, gee, will they continue to, going on this ride? And will I contribute with enough value through a virtual media where they say, well, that justifies his salary, right? And that's constantly something I'm always thinking about. Mm-hmm. And, and so far, there haven't been any alarm bells. But it is, it is in the back of my head, probably because I haven't really settled down with the idea of running everything virtually 100%, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I remember you saying... And I think you actually, you know, I, I love reading your your blogs on LinkedIn. And, and I, I think you talked a little bit about the culture challenge that we, because yeah. everybody's talking about efficiency. And you see some people who are like, well, these Zoom calls, they really work. And, and doing stuff <laughs> remotely and virtually. And, and you, I'll never forget, you said something about 
how do you how do you develop real culture when you can't be together? And yeah. and a guy told me once, you know, there's no substitute for being on the wall, being able to just walk into somebody's office and put your feet up on the desk, so to speak, and and um, yeah. and and shoot the breeze. So um, yeah. I, I worry about that. Yeah. Well, listen, I spoke to a good friend of mine yesterday, the the CMO of Burger King, and and he said to me, in the old days, I would have walked the office. I would have passed by a person, spoken to that person for three minutes, when you know, would go on to another person, and after half an hour, I would have sort of kept in touch with everyone. Today, you schedule a meeting, a Zoom meeting, and minimum half an hour mm-hmm. to do things which took three minutes, but actually the connection is just much weaker, right? Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, there's like this feeling that there's been efficiency created, and that oh, people are talking about how they're getting more done, and and. But boy, I think we're just losing to a sense of ourselves on so many levels. Big way. Yeah, uh, big way. particularly the creativity, right? Oh, I would yeah. Say. Yeah, that's yeah. the. I mean, that's. It is. Um, it is frustrating. It's funny. I just, you know, I was reading um, your uh, the, the Lindstrom report where you wrote the ult- You were talking about the ultimate excuse, and, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and 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 it was so funny because I read it and I thought. It I because I just fl- I just flew yesterday I just flew back from 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 Maine and, and um, yeah. it is I thought to myself places are shut down people aren't it's not just excuses for efficiency it's almost you know it's in some cases it's excuses for manners too you people, yeah. people are 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 using this whole COVID thing it's I don't know where you know you don't know where the line is. You don't know where yeah. um, it's real and, and, and impactful to, okay, now that's over the top. We're, we're not being very nice to one another or whatever. So uh, <laughs> I, assume, <laughs> I assume you see some of that and and, uh, yeah. and that makes a little sense <laughs> to you, right? <laughs> All the time. And I'm just laughing because it's so incredibly ridiculous. And I think the worst thing is we kind of keep up with it. We kind of... Yeah, we challenge it for five seconds, and then we sort of give up and say, okay, well, I guess that's how it is. Because it is that ultimate blanket excuse, as I write in that article. And and uh, I think it's going to get worse, yeah. <laughs> frankly, because I just see it everywhere right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's it, and it's just, uh, it, it, um, it's such an analogy for um, common sense, right? And, and, and it's, it's, I mean, your book's coming out. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm so excited about it. I read, you know, I obviously read the first chapter and, um, am, uh, and super, super excited about it. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So what, so I know that when you, it's funny cause you and I talked back in April and, and, um, you know, it was pretty much ready, but then this whole hit and I'm assuming you said, well, I, yeah. better, I better adapt a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the fun story. I, I wanted to adapt the, the book, and my publishing house kept claiming that they printed it already. So I sort of said, oh, damn it, you know, I wanted to rewrite this book. And then I was just pretty persistent, and one day they revealed we haven't printed it anyway. I'm, I'm not sure how you don't know if you printed the book or not, because we talk about 150,000 copies. But anyway... Yeah. So I said to them, let me rewrite the book. So I rewrote the whole book. So it's incredibly timely. And it really do address common sense. I almost call it the pandemic no edition, right? Because it does 
look into the craziness of sitting on Zoom calls and everything associated with this, right? You know, one of my favorite jokes now is that um, we don't say hello anymore. We say, you're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. I know. Can you hear me? You know? <laughs> Uh, like and it's just like, and that's so. Uh, I'm writing a lot about that, and I've and it's kind of amusing and sad at the same time because I think we all are driven by technology more than it, than we are driven by technology. It's like it's going the opposite way, right? Um, and I, I I do feel that common sense has just you know it's just become. 100% worse after COVID-19, right? So, yeah, I was glad that I could rewrite the book. It's, it's super exciting, I have to say. And I just did a, a, a closed webinar yesterday for a group of, 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 we call them Martin fans, but that's about 200 people which have opted in to, to have a first view of the test content. And it was just amazing because people really resonate with this stuff um, in a big way, much bigger than I thought. So, yeah, I'm oh, really grateful, I have to say. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about you. Um, have you seen the have you, did you, have you seen the documentary, The Social Dilemma? I have, yeah, definitely. And, you know, it made me think of you and, and because you've now been without your phone for yeah. two and a half years, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and um, But when you think about how what technology has has done and and you think about you pair that with the idea around common sense you know this goes back to stuff we talked about uh, earlier this year and that was that you know we are lacking those experiences I, I i gotta believe that when you think about common sense it's just the ability to kind of pull away and and step back i mean so even in that first chapter i was reading you were talking a little bit about that is that, you know, when do we ever step back and go, well, wait a minute, we're so in the weeds here and, and it, this doesn't really, this just, just doesn't jive, you know, where this isn't making any sense. And, and I, I, I feel like we're all there. Don't you? I do. And I, I do feel that for multiple reasons. I think the, the biggest dilemma we have is that in school we were taught one thing uh, about productivity and that thing we now are translating into a new media. Um, and the awkward translation is, well, if I'm back-to-back on Zoom meetings, then I'm productive. Mm-hmm. If I produce endless streams of decks and you know, PowerPoint files and Excel spreadsheets, well, then um, I'm productive. Um, so our productivity is correlated with certain very rational files. And, and the problem here is, first of all, it's not very fulfilling. It's certainly killing creativity. But the other problem is that, and I'm sure you tried it, I certainly try it every day when I'm on calls, and I am indeed on back-to-back calls, 10 of up to 15 calls a day. Sure. I take notes during every call on a Word file, and during the very evening, you know, at, at 8 o'clock in the night, I'm sort of closing down my laptop for a moment, and... I had to save all these files, and there's 15 files, open files, all with different notes. At first, at that stage, I can start doing my work. I mean, <laughs> I haven't done my work. I've just been participating in sessions. Right. And so what happens for most people is that we kind of do not do our work, and we don't do it because we don't have time to reflect, because Zoom doesn't allow for five minutes of toilet break. Right. It's just not <laughs> building to the system. So we just follow that. And by the way, no one goes to the toilet 
during the entire day. I don't know. I'm not sure how that's possible, but not a single person is going to the toilet. <laughs> and 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 it's it's kind of mind blowing when you think about it. And there is no, as I'm writing in the article, there's no culture buttons in 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 Microsoft Teams either, meaning that that water cooler moment or the walk to the meeting room or the canteen break or the coffee break, all those non-timesheet-related moments which accounting could not lock down into a monetary value was seen as a waste of time and money in the past. But actually, I think that's showed to be our social glue. And that's what built the culture. Right. And that's wiped away here. So yes, companies now putting these success metrics on these systems saying, well, if you move your mouse every minute, it has a green dot on the dashboard of someone watching that. And then people are sort of going around moving their mouse every third minute, I know for sure now, to prove that they're productive. But actually, they're watching something else that's moving their mouse, right? right? And it's just like very non-common sense of what I call you know, a nonsense way we are navigating this awkward transition from a very creative world to a very linear world, right? Yeah. I wonder if, if it, you know, because having been in that corporate world, it, you know, because when you were there live in person, you st I, st I remember I still had a ton of conference calls. I still had a ton of meetings. and and um, But at least there was some, some creative tension you know, when you're live and in person and you can yeah. see the facial expressions and technology, I feel like we can hide. Even if we're on the Zoom call, you know, like you said, you can, you can, you know, when you say somebody's on mute, I mean, there's, there's, there's some of that. And, and, but that tension and that, that angst is actually, I, I got to believe where creativity and, and therefore some common sense exists, don't you? Well, I think, yes, absolutely. I think the sad thing is, I just spoke to a, a guy which is one of, probably one of the most creative people, uh, at least in the U.S., and um, he said to me that all of his friends are having meltdowns and going to a psychologist at the moment because their creativity is dying. And it is dying, we discussed, because they are quite often social creatures or creatures which are the bouncing ideas against each other in a non-linear environment. And suddenly everything is structured. Now you're creative for 15 minutes, right? <laughs> now mm -hmm. you are productive. Um, so, so what is kind of sad right now is I actually do think creativity is, is on a free fall in certain industries. And then you have, let's say, the EDM industry, the electronic dance music industry and DJs, was is on the rise because they were used to back-to-back -to -back DJing around the world. Uh, and now they finally have time at home to be creative, which I haven't been before. And each of them have their own propriety studio sets up. And normally they wouldn't be able to visit each other, but now they can do it electronically instead and actually compose music together. So what's ironic is some industries have been amplified creative-wise because of, of uh, the means and, and the time access and other industries have completely had a free fall. Um, so I think overall what my conclusion is, that creativity is increasingly dying. Um, 
And it is dying, as I think we discussed last time, because people have no time for reflections and they have no time for boredom. Yeah. And you know my view. Boredom mm. is, in my opinion, the foundation for creativity mm-hmm. because it gives you a moment to reflect and combine things in new ways. And we really don't have time for it. And because we are constantly forcing ourselves to be let linear, to fill our diaries, to fill our calendars with stuff, as soon as we have nothing, we kind of feel like losers. We feel like we're cheating or skulking or we do what they did in school where we sort of were just you know, not there. We feel that subconsciously. So we subconsciously fill our calendar with even more stuff whenever it's empty. It's kind of like a habit, which makes it even worse because then we can for sure not be creative. So I think my biggest challenge is, as you know, I don't have a phone, and that's you know fantastic, I have to say. But even for me, it's a challenge because when I had to do things which are seriously creative in between those two meetings, well, then it's very clear for me I have to change my entire mindset first. And it takes me several hours to get into that, or else it becomes just very predictable ideas I'm coming up with. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny listening to you. I think to myself, maybe part of all of this, I, I look at the, um, you know, I think about that, that documentary and I think about my kids and, and I worry that, that the, the technology has become this great pacifier. And, you know, going back to this idea that you've shared about, you know, boredom is the foundation of creativity, you know, we're never bored. And so they can always reach for that device. They can always. Yeah. And so you, you, but now uh, it's like we've, because of the Zoom call, because everybody's remote, it's like one big fast pacifier. I, I wonder if people are actually, you know, essentially jonesing to, for the Zoom call because, you know, if they're not on a Zoom call, they're thinking, well, what's going on? You know, what fear of missing out, so to speak. You know, in the office, at least, you, you know, I can walk by the, the conference room and go, hey, why am I not in that meeting? And, and so there's there's you know we talked about anxiety at the front but i wonder if there's some of that uh that is happening as well and and so not only is creativity getting killed it's it's like free thought and 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 obviously common sense is all going out the window because we're just so remarkably pacified by technology i think you're right and i think we have become victims of a nanny state where we have so many rules and regulations surrounding us every day, which are dictating us what productivity looks like, what a good employee looks like, what you can and can't do. And if you remove all those conscious and non-conscious guidelines which are around you, i.e. showing up early to work, going home late from work. It's a very simple, uh, not discussed rule, but if you're a new employee, that's probably what you do, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a young employee, you want to break through the glass ceiling, that's probably what you do. Well, guess what? Now you can't do that anymore. So I think all those guidelines which are sort of subconscious are gone and we now to we now need to reinvent that and find other means of showing to the world I am productive. And so far I don't believe that what 
Winston um, you know, Churchill once said, uh, he said that I wanted to write a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. I don't <laughs> think that phenomenon has really kicked through yet. I, don't, I think that we believe productivity is mass. It's lot. It's volume, right? I don't think it's the opposite. I don't think people are saying productivity is to produce a one-pager, but my gosh, it's really well thought through, right? That's not considered productivity in our world. And I think, actually, that we need to get to that stage at the moment because here's the issue. Volume, for me, is not doing the trick anymore because you can jump on unlimited webinars, unlimited calls. You can get unlimited information. You have everything at your fingertips. So that is not going to do the trick. I think what people really need now is if you have a big organization and you want to nail down that organization and you want to say, that's what you stand for, that's, if you can do that in one page, on one line, on one word, you're really good. That's what people need now. Sadly, people do not recognize that. And I do think hmm. that productivity also happens in, in odd places. I mean, it, I worked a lot with banks, and, and as part of the Ministry of Common Sense, you know, we introduced the ministry in a bank. And what was fascinating was I spoke to some of these people which were responsible for creating all these rules and guidelines. And it's fascinating because I met one of them and I said to her, do, do you know what, are you aware of that 16 of the rules you produced makes absolutely no sense, absolutely no sense. And she looked at me like a deer in the headlight and I said to her, listen, listen to this rule, this rule, and it talked about the rules around faxing materials, that you had to always fax at contracts in addition to sending it by letter. I said, do you have a fax machine here? He said, no. I said, so that rule doesn't make sense, but people have to run around to find a fax machine, right? Mm -hmm. So we went through these rules, and then I said to her, do you agree they're ridiculous? He said, absolutely. So I said, why don't you remove those? Because he was producing rules. She said to me, because I'm not paid for killing rules. I'm paid for creating rules. Mm -hmm. So if I kill my own rules, I'm perceived as being non-productive. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where we are right now. It's right? yeah, it's delusional. It, you know, it's it's um, uh, oh, it's the, these guys wrote a book called the Innovation D Delusion, and you know, yeah, our yeah. industry gets into that too, where it's like constantly looking for the next generation. You know, I, the analogy that I I used uh, years ago. I don't know, Martin, if you remember this, but back in the '90s, the first Jurassic Park movie came out. Yeah, yeah. And and I uh, I watched, and and I remember sitting in the theater with my my mouth open. I thought, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. You know, today my kids watch it and they go, Dad, those dinosaurs look fake. And so, um, but I remember Jeff Goldblum was in with the guy who created the park, and he was sitting there basically saying you know you took what other people did and you you didn't use any discipline to gain the knowledge and you you were and, and he said something to the effect of you were so busy asking yourselves how we do something you never stepped back and said why you know why are we doing this should we be doing this and mm -hmm. and and i remember that and i think about that a lot and and you you know, obviously in this book, you talk a little bit of you, the invisible red tape, and I assume yeah. that's part of it, right? Yes, it is. The invisible red tape, um, 
are really subconscious rules we create in our society, which more or less becomes obstacles for us to breathe properly. So um, I call that the invisible straitjacket. And really, the straitjacket is uh, is a strange thing because straitjackets are happening because of a self-fulfilling prophecy happening in an organization. And let me just explain for a second. Um, if I go back in time and I look at Wall Street, mm-hmm. before Wall Street was invented, so to speak, companies would be measured on two things, uh, how, how happy customers, how happy the customers were, or the second thing would be if they're earning money. Very mm-hmm. straightforward. As we forward into the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, Wall Street is now at its play, and they're asking for quarterly announcement earnings, and companies are now breaking down those KPIs and saying, well, okay, we need to feed Wall Street with KPIs and measurements on an ongoing basis. So each division is now asked to supply data. Fine, no issue. But then it moves on, and each of those divisions now having each of the different sets of KPIs are now walking or working more or less in their own little universe, their own little ecosystem, producing these amazing KPIs but guess what? They're completely unrelated to all the other divisions with their set of KPIs. And suddenly the silver lining, which could be the customer, is, is kind of gone. Mm-hmm. And the best example of that is an example, a real-life example from Maersk, which is the largest shipping company in the world, mm-hmm. and, and a case I'm partly writing about in the book. Because you know, I went to, to, to China to look at the NPS scores, so the net promoter score, the customer satisfaction. And as I was interviewing these people in the call center, I realized that the majority of all the complaints this company was receiving were categorized as force majeure. And we all know that force majeure is, you know, uh, earthquake or tsunamis or COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But every single one, really? So what happens here is I'm asking them why. And I realized there's a little box on the screen was a saying, tick this. And if you categorize it as force majeure, guess what? You fill out the entire form. But if you don't do that, you'll have to fill out another three forms, which will take another seven minutes on average. So, of course, the people in the call center are now ticking all these boxes. Now, then I realized later on the reason why they do it is because the customer service department is not measured on service and happiness. It's measured on time. How fast can you turn around a customer? So the KPIs are now creating this invisible straitjacket mm. in the minds of the people in the call center, which I'm sure would love to give good customer service, but can't because it takes a heck of a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where lack of common sense is coming in here, right? Yeah. Because who the heck would measure customer service on time? Well, in the moment, it seems fair and reasonable. I mean, we have a lot of complaints. Let's manage it, not waste money on it. But in reality, it's completely disconnected from uh, no, the reality of, of how you should do this work. And that's where the red tape comes in, because the red tape is these invisible, indirect guidelines, KPIs, rules, regulations, compliance issues, which are just increasingly removing the oxygen from everyone's room. So. Yeah. You really have good intentions. You really want to make a change happen. But guess what? You can't do it because X, Y, and C. 
And that's where we are right now. Yeah. And that's incredibly sad because he's the consequence of that. The yeah. consequence is that people, the younger generation, don't want to work these places. And the first step, which are happening right now, and this is fascinating, it is that people now, younger generations, are dealing with a big new company they're working for through Teams or Zoom. And they realize, why should I work for these guys? There's no culture because you can't create a culture through a screen. There is a lot of insecurity about, will I keep this job? I can't prove myself. There's no one mentoring me. So what do I do? I start to say, hey, why don't I have two employees instead of one? In fact, why don't I have three or four? And suddenly they become entrepreneurs. Suddenly they become freelancers. And suddenly they say to themselves, why don't I build up my own personal brand? Mm -hmm. And suddenly what will happen, I think, as a consequence of COVID-19, is we'll have millions of people now becoming uh, personal brands. And they will opt out of that corporate game. And then we have these huge conglomerates which seriously can't attract any talent because they simply don't want to work in that red tape environment right mm -hmm. well I, I mean it's uh, dare I say you know um, it's like uh, it becomes like the government you know I, I mean I, I, I don't think that you've got the most creative uh, entrepreneurial people occupying the the DMV you know these people are are they're in this place and, and it's interesting right so progress comes from those entrepreneurs and those people who are there's a there's a fire lit within them and and um and so these these big companies are starting to get exactly like you said they're getting very very stale because of all this and it's ironic right these people take these roles and in their personal lives they're probably sitting there going this doesn't make any sense when they're they're consumers and then they go into these roles and and they're just kind of thrown into the wheel, and and um, so I see that, and I it that so go going back to what you were talking about from an anxiety standpoint. Yeah, this is what I think about for my kids and and, and going forward. So where do we start? Because it's obviously a, there's there's a combination of being conditioned and a mindset, and then you've got technology that's that's um, keeping us conditioned in this way. I mean, where does where does the ministry of common sense you know kick in to uh, to I don't know to find that that lost uh, the lost common sense, if you will. Well, let me put this into perspective. Um, first of all, the reason why I wrote the idea span out of uh, some work with one of the major banks in the world. They reached out to me and they said, "Hey, we want to want you to come in and see if you can increase uh, the customer happiness and satisfaction." So we started to work with them and way into the process i had this workshop going on and this lady she said to me halfway through the workshop i'm sick and tired of working in this bank um i'm resigning and i was just saying to myself my gosh you know i don't want to have an employee resigning on my watch right mm -hmm. so i begged her to sit down and i said listen um you know what's the issue she said there's no common sense here i said so why don't we do something about it she said well then i want to open a ministry of common sense and it literally became, became a reality. This bank now have a third-year run at the Ministry of Common Sense. It's a real division inside the company, which its own self, its very simple purpose to 
vacuum clean one stupidity at a time. Mm. And at this stage, I think it's cleaned up two or 3,000 stupidities. And believe me, uh, there's a lot. And really the base idea is to have the ministry become self-destructive, a real meaning once it's done its duty, it's out of there. It's not some permanent thing which have to feed itself. So that became the, the foundation for the book. And, and since then, I've opened up these ministries across companies around the world. But a lot of people are asking me, how do you do this? And here's my simple advice. There's sort of three things. The first thing is to understand what is common sense. And common sense is, is really... Um, of course, it is to see things as they ought to be and feel it uh, the way it should be. And really, that's very related to um, empathy. Mm-hmm. And empathy is really the ability to put yourself in the shoes of another person and feel what that person is feeling. Now, here's the issue. Empathy is disappearing in our world. We just talked about it with KPIs. I'm more focused on my own KPIs than the other person is. Um, when we're looking at Zoom, I have a little stamp site photo in the upper right corner of myself, right? I'm more obsessed with that one. How do I look like? It's really good. Right? <laughs> right. So we have this obsessed generation, me included, which um, I'm more focused on what I am doing, what I'm achieving, rather than how I'm helping others. Mm-hmm. So empathy is slowly dying. And we do know that, and it's something I'm writing a lot about in the book, how empathy levels in the United States over the last decade alone has halved. It's halved. Mm. And it's halved for multiple reasons. One of them is, you know, as unusual as it sounds, Botox. I mean, we know today that if you take Botox, you have fewer muscle uh, movements. And that is almost a subconscious connection you have with other people. That's the reason why studies now are showing the mother's relationship with their newborn children uh, is actually near, not nearly as good as it was done just two decades ago because they use Botox, and that removes those micro-expressions. Um, but it also comes back to mm. expressing everything you want and all your emotions in 100-plus characters on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, or all these different things. So the first thing is to understand or feel a sense of empathy. And if you do that, then you're on the right track. So then you can say, how do you do that? Well, that is to bring the customer into the center of the organization. So to see the world from outside in, rather than inside out. And then ask yourself fundamental questions. And one of the questions you can ask yourself is the fact that um, most of the world, most of the stuff we do every day is not rational. If we assume just once and for all that consumers are emotional and not rational, how would the world look differently? And then start to develop things around it. And one of the things I always do is to say, okay, Let's find one little thing, one tiny thing which is kind of you know, irritating or frustrating for a customer and fix just that one little, little thing, but only to do it in 90 days, only 90 days. And I'll explain in a second why. So what you do is you say, well, I am deeply frustrated about the fact that I am back to back with meetings all the time. Fine. What is the solution? Well, why don't we start every Zoom meeting five minutes past the hour? It's a super simple thing, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a lot, right? There will be all sorts of excuses why you can't do it. It's not possible to do in Zoom. Yes, it is. It's not possible to ordinate things around it. Yes, it is. So let's say you do that. 
If I start every meeting five minutes past the hour, you will see that actually people will start to do it. And people will be happy about that because people who have children or kids at home can feed them and they can spend time with the pets or whatever. Amazing stuff. Once you've done that, okay, this is important stuff, Mm -hmm. then you celebrate it. Then you say to everyone, fantastic. Let's applaud. Let's say this is the first change we've done. Amazing stuff. Then the second thing you're going to say to everyone is, why don't we, you know, we have this annual meeting. It's a staff meeting we're running no, every year it's a two-day off-site conference, and this year we'll have our online staff meeting. It's running for two days straight where we're sitting in front of the screens. Amazing, right? <laughs> and people are saying, well, wh- wh- hang on. Why should we do that? But no one is questioning it. So here's my question is, from an emotional point of view, can you do it? No, you can't. Right. So how would it look like? Well, common sense would say, why do we have to wait for a whole year now when there's no travel cost? Now when we don't need to squeeze all juice out of people's brains because they've been flying around the world and staying in hotels was expensive. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Very simple. We measure the temperature of the culture every day. And as soon as it goes down a certain threshold, which is too low, we kick off a two-hour energy booster. It's a whole different thing. It's exciting. It's fun. We're dressing up whatever we're doing online but we're using the channel the way it should be. And suddenly we are changing things. Guess what? We do it, we see if it works, and then we celebrate it. And each of those small initiatives, one by one, gives a subconscious permission to people to question the norm and change. Because here's the issue. There's no such thing as going back to work. In the future, i.e. from today, we will go forward to work. We won't come back to a situation where everything we do will be back in the meeting room because companies are already now cutting real estate because the boss realized we can save a lot of money. We will not travel as much anymore. We can save money. So we will notice that there will only be 40% back to normal and 60% going forward to work. Mm -hmm. So If we do not give people permission to change the status quo of the past, what will happen is we will recycle the past bad habits, which may even be really bad because there's no common sense then. Now it's even worse when we do it through this channel. So now we will actually be even more miserable. So my rule of thumb right now is this is the moment for us, you and I and companies and individuals, to change. If you do not change as a consequence of COVID-19, you did not get the message. Right. Um, and I, I think it's so easy to say, of course, but do it in small bite-sized steps, then celebrate it and then repeat it. And then suddenly you'll see changes happening, right? Well, and I, and I, and I love it because it's, uh, you know, what it sounds like is um, it's common sense in itself, right? That, 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 that change is going to be is going to be born from you know your relationship with others empathy right your understanding of others and and committing to that you know that's the one thing that i that's i guess one of the silver linings that i see in this is that we've been so greedy you know we've been so egocentric and it's been all about money and and it's funny to hear like you talking about wall street back in the day when 
when it was, hey, do they have happy employees? Do they have a good brand? Are they making some money on a, on a yearly basis? And, and how that has changed. And it's, and it's all because of that lack of focus on purpose. You know, why we're in business in the first place. And, and you know, it's a bigger question overall, right? I mean, we, we're here to serve others. I've always believed that capitalism is essentially, you know, staking your own claim, but at the, in the servitude of others. You know, we tend to for, forget that. And, and what you're saying today is, is getting back. And COVID does give you that opportunity to say, you know what? I mean, things are tough. Things are bad. So why not talk to someone? Why not listen to someone? And and then try to do right by them and, and, and morph. And so it does offer uh, that chance. And it's, it's, um, it's hard because people are so conditioned to the way things were. And now we're kind of, there's just this general malaise over the world of, you know, what's going on. And, and you do have a lot of people who are hoping that it comes back, as you say. But, but um, it really does take a mindset to, to embrace this new day and, and say, look, there's, there's great opportunity here. And, and, um, you just got to embrace some common sense, right? Absolutely. And, um, I do feel increasingly we have no attention span anymore. So it is the instant gratification generation yeah. at play. And because of that, I kind of feel that, you know, it's a little bit like you can't, no, walk on the grass. You have to walk around, and maybe that little path is seven seconds longer than going across. But we are so fundamentally lazy in our behavior that we we cross the grass anyway. I think what we are right now is that we um, we don't sit down and take our time right now in this moment and ask ourselves. What should I now change in my day? And let me just ask you that, Mark, because it's a very interesting exercise. It's one I'm raising in the book and, and in general talking a lot about. When did you last time, and be super honest here, sit down and map down your daily work um, as a consequence of COVID-19, where you said these two factors, factor one, I should just get rid of. I should discard that way of working because it does not make sense in this new environment. The other one I should park for a moment because it's either too unproductive or it's too time-consuming or it's just not adding any value. And then I have one which I call, I want to keep that one. That's a good one. And one is, I really want to be better at that. I want to evolve it. So that's the four different factors. And then you'll sort of look at yourself for a moment in the mirror and ask yourself how much on the two first factors which, by the way, I label as nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. The one which is park and discard, and the other one which is evolve and keep uh, is what I call common sense. Have you done something, and it doesn't have to be that format, but have you done something like that over the last half year, given the fact that you, like everyone else, has been through a dramatic change in the way you work? Um... Probably not uh, that specific, you know, I, I, I'm someone who's probably been thinking a lot about the, you know, you're constantly trying to say these are the things that I need to let go of and, and I, I, I've thought a lot about it. I was, I've been on, you know, a couple planes here recently. Planes are, are typically a great place to, to, uh, to yeah. be thinking. Um, 
but no, you know, we haven't, I, 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 that, that's part of it is you're, you're pulled into just surviving, right? You're just like, and and that, and, and unfortunately that's a lot of my clients are that way too. And, and, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to tell them as, as painful as this is, we have to step outside right now and build the equity for the future. I, so, so the answer is no, but I, but I get it. Yeah, because here's the issue, right? The issue is, I bet you, if I was to map your day down, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you an example, okay? For a while, I noticed, I was super busy, okay? And I noticed that if I st- when I started to map down what I did, that there was a lot of wasted time. And one of the biggest factors was at 10 o'clock in the night, where in fact I should sit and be creative. Guess what I spend my time on? Watching bloody YouTube videos. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) And and that was 45 minutes every day. I added it up. It was incredible. And I said to myself, forget about it. Mm -hmm. No, forget about it. Um, And then I said, well, listen, I'm back to back in meetings here. Is there any way I can really deliver quality after my meeting number one online? And the answer is no, no way. Because you know when you are in a mindset and now you can solve it, and then you know, once you solve it, you're, you're good, right? Mm-hmm. So what I started to do was to cancel every second meeting. Literally, mm-hmm. I had one hour break in between each meetings. And it actually made me come up to speed. It's almost like I concluded each of the meetings. And it also forced me to say no to certain meetings, right? So that was the second step. And so what I'm suggesting here is for everyone to do now, to write down on a piece of paper what are the four type of behaviors you want to keep versus throw out. And that's common sense. And it's common sense because right now, if you're not doing it, you're doing what I defined early on, that you are crossing the grass, Mm -hmm. meaning that we are right now just shutting down fires, that we have no energy, no time to sit down and reflect on our own life and ask ourselves, what should I change now for the future? Even though I may not get anything out of it the next hour or the next day or the next two days, but Jesus, I'll get a lot of stuff out of this the next half year if I really plan it with now. And I think that's where we are, that we have that fundamental laziness built into us that we just don't have the energy to do it. But in my opinion, this is the moment to do it, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. I, it's it's so funny. I'm sitting here getting goosebumps because it's it's. Um, I just had this conversation with my son. See, I, I drove him up to Maine. He's playing hockey up in Maine, and so I had to fly back. And and um, you know, he's been back and forth because of you know COVID. The the league is shut down here and there. But and so, and we were talking about you know his schoolwork and 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 you know, hockey and all this stuff. And, um, and I said, you know, life, I, I, I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't know everything, but I know that in my life, it's been a, it's been a decision between pain and pleasure. And, and I said, in the moment, you know, we choose pleasure and, and we avoid pain. It's easier. Yeah. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that assignment. I'll do that homework. Um, but gosh, this YouTube uh, video is calling my name right now. Let me just take a look at this. And the next thing you know, and so we keep choosing. And I and I was trying to explain to him, you know, that's 
that's that that becomes a habit. And somehow you got to flip the script. Somehow you got to look and say, choosing that what you think is painful in the short term leads to long-term enrichment. And there's a bigger picture. And so that goes back to, I think, some of the stuff that you were talking about, I mean, obviously around common sense and and, and even willpower for that matter. I, I sent all my clients this, I sent them all little, um, you know, the little rubber bracelets with I will because I think willpower, independent will is you know, a unique human gift and, and, and we don't use it. And, and it's in it, and that sense or that skill is getting dulled every day by this technology, by what, you know, you, you're talking about the lack of creativity. A lot of it is, is also that independent will making those, those choices. So, um, and every time I talk to you, you've, you've done that, you know, it was a great example, whether it's putting your phone down or saying, you know, I'm going to, not take every meeting on the hour and 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 so that's a great example and and but I do believe that this is a cultural epidemic that we're in the middle of it is it is and first of all I'm glad that you had that conversation with your son it's it's fantastic um I I think it's it's a global willpower issue and and here's the issue it is a peer pressure right among people and that's the reason why I I previously previously said that you need to celebrate when you make a change happen. What is, you know, breaking the frame of routine. I.e., if we ask every employee to skip every second meeting, if we do not celebrate that internally, people will go back to what I define as the default mindset. Right. And let me explain why. Right. There's an experiment done with chickens some years ago. They're put into a cage, stocked into the cage for half a year. And one day they were let out on the beautiful green grass. And the sun was shining and the birds were singing. And the chickens went out. And guess what? They went straight back in again after 30 seconds. And I call that the chicken cage syndrome. And what is fascinating about this experiment is that we are not walking out of the cage for two reasons. First we are fundamentally afraid of the unknown, okay? Mm -hmm. That's what's happening right now. That's the unknown. So we stay in the chicken cage, i.e. we do eight or ten Zoom calls in a row. Uh, The the second thing is just as sad, and that is that we will always measure ourselves against what others are doing. So let's go back to the chickens. If you imagine I took four chicken cages and placed them around a square, I opened the gates, the chickens are standing in there, and I need to get them out. Now, in a conventional thinking, if I had to get them out and I had to place a corn somewhere, a piece of corn, I would place it in the middle. Mm -hmm. And everyone can see it, they will go for it. But they won't. Here's the issue. They wouldn't. So why wouldn't they? Because chicken A would now look at the corn and conclude, my gosh, this is far away. I mean, I really have to change my day to get to that place. I have no KPIs associated with it. There's no bonus. I'm going to lose my bonus. And if my boss is going to be fired, I'm going to be fired as well. So what the first thing the chicken is going to do is to look at chicken B. Chicken B is now looking at chicken A, concluding chicken A don't want to do it. Chicken B is going through the same rational, looking at chicken C, who are looking at chicken D. They're all looking at each other, and they're all concluding, let me get back into that cage straight away. Okay? Right. So how do you get the chickens out of the cage? 
you place the corn straight outside the cage. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you can, you can pick the corn while you're standing in the cage. And as everyone is doing it, you are noticing, I had to do it, they got success. And then you place the next corn a little bit further out and a little bit further out. And suddenly we do a behavioral change. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why I'm talking about 90-day interventions, a change you make within 90 days. And most importantly, you celebrate it. So if you want your son to do what you said he should do in terms of first, you know, pain before pleasure, you have to teach him that through um, rewards and through celebration. And you have to do it in two ways. One is, of course, to reward him for the, for the pain so he can you know, justify that pain when the pleasure comes in whatever regards that is, to do your homework first or whatever. But mm-hmm. the second thing is you need to be a role model. Mm-hmm. And that means if your son is watching too much YouTube uh, or is too much on the phone and you ask him not to do it and you are on the phone all the time, I don't need to tell you mm-hmm. that he's not going to do it. <laughs> and I think that's the issue we have, that when the boss is not changing the behavior, I again, running eight or ten Zoom calls back to back. That is a role model for how you behave in that culture, in that company, and therefore the behavioral change will not happen. So I think, long story short, it's super important to be aware of. You cannot have long-term goal anymore. You can have a vision or a purpose, as you said, but you have to constantly break it down to small bite-sized steps Mm -hmm. where you celebrate the success of those and then you embed it into the culture um, because suddenly people can feel a reward by taking the pain first and then the pleasure second, right? Right. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's just, um, well, it's common sense, right? <laughs> it is very common <laughs> sense. I mean... And it, 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 do you know what? It, 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 that's what's so fascinating about this book, that when you read it, now you read the first chapter, when, when you read the book, I will give you a guarantee, um, and, and also I want to give you a warning. The guarantee I'll give you is you will laugh at least 15 times throughout the book. That's a guarantee. And if not, it's money money back guarantee, really. That's my, that's my promise on the record here, right? Yep. No laugh, no money back. The second thing is this book is only for people with a sick and tired of bureaucracy and red tape and stupidness. No? Right. And, and, and I wrote this book because you had to remember – when I had to go into organizations and turn them around or basically make sure that customers and consumers love that brand, I realized you can't do it unless the staff, the employees, really feel motivated to change. Because if they're so frustrated and, and so haunted by a strict jacket mentality because of red tape, there's no way I can make them become innovative and be customer focused. So really it's my attempt to raise a topic which I feel is in great danger right now. And I try to do it right now, this very moment, where I feel we are at a really, really you know, important point in history where we can either adopt the past um, and apply that to a completely new world with all its mistake built into it, or we can reset and we can pause for a second and then rebuild our lives around it. And of 
course, I believe in the latter, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, it's, you know, listen, I think it's a timely book. I'm glad you, uh, you waited and, and adapted it a bit and, and um, because I think it's, you know, look, we talked about this before and, and I just feel like you're, you're dead nuts on when it comes to understanding this is much bigger. I, I, you know, you and I are probably similar. COVID is a serious deal. There's nobody going to dispute that, but there was a bigger epidemic uh, at play well before this. And, and, you know, you're addressing this and, and, and I think it's, it's critically important. It is a, it's a, it's a cultural um, epidemic that we've we, we're dealing with, and I think that uh, yeah, it your is. book is just so so timely. Do let uh, a couple things. One, I know. Um, well, first, someday you're gonna we you're gonna owe me a, a round of beer pong, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and second, uh, and secondly, so I know that um, we're gonna want to do. You're offering us the opportunity, to, I think, to buy like 25 books and i've got so i got yep. for um so i i want to do that i'll probably um have uh, maria jump on that and and uh, get that to some of my clients you you mentioned that you're also are you doing ministries are you um tell me before i let you go um first of all tell me when the, the book is coming out january 19th but you can pre-order now that's right yeah that's right yeah okay and and then tell well, me about this other stuff well, listen, first of, all, first of all, Mark, thanks a lot for, for your support. You know, as an author, we all appreciate that, yeah. so we can spread the word right, so really from, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, yes, I actually am setting up ministries um, across the world, and ministries have a really smart twist to them, uh, and this is kind of crazy what I'm telling you right now. One of the ministries I set up was in Japan, in uh, in Toyota, the car brand. Mm -hmm. And they said to me, uh, there's a lot of things they cleaned up. Believe me, the Japanese culture have a lot of nonsense happening there as well. Mm -hmm. But um, there was one issue which was really, uh, really strange. Um, Toyota is all about uh, the environment. And as you know, they developed the hybrid car. They're really into to this topic. Uh, so uh, they asked the staff, you know, how, how can we save you know, the energy? Um, and we said to them, hey, why don't we do a competition internally? So the Ministry of Commerce set up a competition, and they asked everyone to come up with ideas to save the environment. And one guy came up with a brilliant idea. He said, why don't we shut down all the light in the production plants? Now, if we pause here for a second, you will probably say to yourself at this very moment, that is the most stupid idea I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. How can people walk work in the dark? Mm -hmm. But the reality is there is no one working in the plants at Toyota because they're all robots. Mm -hmm. So why do they need light? <laughs> so that, that resulted in that guy uh, earning millions of dollars because he actually would get a percentage of the number of dollars saved or yen saved in this case. Oh, wow. And this is the foundation for the ministry. The ministry actually is designed to earn money. It earns money by saving money, but doing it in a clever way where it adds common sense. So the common sense is the KPI. It's not saving money. But quite often you'll notice that productivity and happiness and retention and customer satisfaction will improve because of this. So every ministry actually earns money, and they split the money 
between two parties. The first is the division. They're doing the work in. They're giving 50% back to them. And 50% they're donating to the next division to kick off the project so they don't have any cost. Oh, wow. And that means it's a self-profit funding uh, activity going on. What's are really you know, feeding, it's fed on stupidities. Really, the engine, the oil, <laughs> you know, right. it's stupidities. And it really produces money which is pretty amazing. So these ministries are running in all sorts of companies across the world, some of the largest companies, and it's incredibly successful, and it's even more successful when it closes down because then they fulfilled their job. Now, of course, you don't need to do these huge things as I'm doing here where you have you know, five or six full-time people just submitting stupidities and cleaning them up one after another. You can also just give that challenge to individuals uh, and encourage them to to make changes happening through a, a very simple model I'm I'm sharing in the book, which everyone can implement straight away. And within 90 days, you have cleaned up 10 stupidities. The most important thing for me is this: it's a little bit like exercise. Instead of you talking about that you want to lose 10 pounds, um, and then you really want to do this big exercise, just do a little bit, just a tiny bit. Just do those two push-ups every morning, not 15, but two, right? Mm -hmm. Only two. And as you get started, you suddenly get into the mood. And that is what this whole thinking is doing. It's actually showing a ton of examples about what you can do straight away so you actually can clean up one stupidity at a time, right? Yeah. It's like the chickens. Just a little bit. It is the chicken. The corn. (laughs) That's right. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Well, I think that's great. I can't wait um, to get the book. Um, and uh, I just, uh, I hopefully um, at some point travel will will start up again and, and, and we will have this, um, this beer pong. That will be amazing. And it's on, it's my shelf. That's for sure. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I, listen, I, like I said, I think this is going to be great. And, and I know that... Um, uh, people can go to martinlidstrom.com and uh, backslash Ministry of Common Sense to, to learn out more, learn more about it, and and um, pre-order the book. And uh, there's a lot of other goodies to go along with it too, right? Yeah, there is. Listen, if if if, if folks are uh, are interested in, in pre-ordering the book, we actually have four more test ministry of common sense workshops or webinars running this very moment. The next one, number two, is running next week. Oh, cool. And this first one here was completely fully booked, but we uh, so we've expanded the space. And every week they're looking at a new aspect of our life where we want to do a change. And it's very concrete. All the models are being shared with everyone. And I'm really proud to tell you that um, the book already now is nominated to be one of the five top ideas in 2021 um, by Malcolm Gladwell, by Adam Grant, and by Steven Pinker. So um, it seems to have raised the bar in terms of challenging conventional thinking, at least it's it's getting there. And my hope, of course, is that people are willing to buy into this and bring back common sense, because common sense, it's not that common. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think it's gonna do great. I'm I'm super excited for you. I, I just I can't thank you enough, not not for just being here, but for the work 
that you're doing, um, and I just the thoughtfulness. I, I obviously I'm uh, pretty uh, excited to, to 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 have connected with you because I just feel like you know you find those people who get it. I think it's it's one thing to um, go on and and people there's a lot of people who write books. This this is different. This is your the the thoughtfulness that you've put into everything. You're you're passionate about it, and you understand. You talk about empathy. That's what shine, comes through uh, from from you, Martin, and I and I just can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing for for everybody. So, um, I'm gonna jump on, uh, see if I can jump into those webinars, and and I think that um, yeah, uh, the book is gonna be a resounding success. So, um, and, and I just can't wait. To, I can't wait for our beer pong. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I can't <laughs> wait either. All well, right, Martin. Thank you so much, and Great. and enjoy the book. And I hope to see you at the webinar next week. You and got then it. challenge me so we can fix that common sense issue once and for all. Right. I love it. I love it. <laughs> all right, man. Have fun and uh, enjoy the snow. I will. You all too. Right, Take care. Martin. Take care. See you. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Martin Lindstrom. I think that you will agree that he is a spectacular guy. I think he's thoughtful. I think he's passionate. He's got a great sense of humor. He is the type of person that we need out there leading the charge. Creating the ministries of common sense is is critically important right now. Common sense comes from our ability to stand back, think for ourselves, use our independent will to make our own choices and, and have our own experiences, to let go of immediate gratification, let go of technology and everything else that has been feeding this cultural pandemic or epidemic, if you will. And Martin is a guy who observes and he talks to people. He works with obviously major, major organizations. So he sees all this stuff and he's able to shine a light on some of the things that ail us. So I, I just can't thank him enough for taking the time to, to speak with me again. Uh, he definitely owes me a round of beer pong. Uh, that's an inside joke from the last time we talked, but he really is a, um, a guy you need to check out. His book comes out on January 19th. It's the Ministry of Common Sense. You can go to martinlindstrom.com to learn more. He's got webinars there. He's got all kinds of uh, other valuable information that you guys should tap into. But this is what we need right now. We need to be strong because uh, things aren't great. Things suck. It's okay to say they suck. Uh, you know, I tend to be a very positive, Pollyanna-like person and have ingrained the habit of looking at the silver lining when things get tough. And things are tough, and we have to find silver linings. We have to find opportunity. There is opportunity within angst, within adversity, within challenge. And so, but it doesn't mean we have to sit there and put a huge smile on our face and, and ignore the fact that things suck. But we do need to use our independent will to to uh, to push forward and be proactive, kind of like our sponsor of this podcast, which is the Association for Print Technologies. AP Tech is a progressive group. They are pushing forward. They want to support you. They're creating new verticals to engage, to help you engage with. And so I would check them out. We need progressive leaders in this industry and AP Tech is, is all about that. 
So visit printtechnologies.org and, and check out. Membership is inexpensive and highly valuable. So uh, my thanks to them. Again, my thanks to Martin. My thanks to you during this weird time uh, for listening. But but more importantly, my thanks for to you to for giving it a try, right? You're not listening to this unless you're willing to kind of give it a try, that you that you have ambition, that you believe in a better version of yourself and your organization. So keep going, push forward. I'm going to do the same thing and, 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 and good things will emerge and we will find a better version of ourselves and we're going to do it all because we're going to be the Buffalo. I wish you all the best. Happy holidays and take care.